it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And thanks to our malt mates at Cry Malt, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, I catch up with Dave Phillips. We've spoken to Dave before, both in his role as founder of Dave's Brewery Tours, which became Dave's Travel and Events, and also as the eventual owner of Sydney Beer Week. This week, Dave was announced as the Chief Operating Officer at Shipyard Brewing in Portland, Maine. It was an interesting announcement, given to the Australian industry, Dave is best known for his tourism roles here. It turns out, though, that Dave has invested in similar tourism and travel businesses across the US, in addition to his role at Shipyard and in addition to his Australian tourism operations. And we have a great chat around business models in the brewing industry as the market matures and also what he has learned about businesses through watching the industry change. It's a great chat. In fact, it's a bit of a cracker of a chat. I don't like to say that and separate any one episode from another, but this is a really, really fascinating long conversation. And be warned, it is a long one, but it's definitely worth the investment of your time. I hope you enjoy it, and I look forward to the inevitable discussion about the many topics it raises in the Facebook group. Dave Phillips, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Manny. Good to uh, good to be along, and thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And and this is a conversation that I've not wanted to have any pre-roll, just chat and catch up because I'm pretty sure that everything's going to be quite interesting. So uh, I've just hit the record button, and we'll see where it goes. But big news that has been made official this week, but has actually been true for a little while that you've uh, just been appointed uh, to a new role. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Chief Operating Officer of uh, Shipyard Brewing Company uh, based in Portland, Maine, in the US. Um, and you're right, mate, you know, we've been, I've been, um, I've been working with the Shipyard team uh, since, well, we launched Shipyard in Australia in 2019 with, in a, under a licence arrangement with um, Simon, um, Simon Osborne and Rocks Brewing Company in Sydney. And, um, and that came about as, uh, just as a result of having a beer with the owner of Shipyard, Fred Forsley, back in 2000, and I think it was 2018. Yep. And they, um, they've been, um, whilst they're a US craft brewery, they've been in the, in the UK and Europe for quite a few years under a license arrangement. And, and initially we were just talking about that and, and beer and I guess international, uh, I guess international arrangements for beer. And he's like me, we're, we're both a lover of stupid ideas and, and over a beer, I said, well, how about we talk about Australia, you know, what's your thoughts about Australia? And he said, I'd love it. I'd love to be down there. And then, and then it took us a good, uh, between Simon and I and, and Fred, uh, it took us probably a good 12 months to get to an arrangement where we, uh, where we struck up an alliance arrangement. And then, yes, yeah, subsequently we launched in Australia in 2019 and launched Rocks, the reciprocal arrangement. So there's a, it's a bilateral arrangement. It's a 15 year license deal between the two organizations mm-hmm. uh, to, to brew, say, uh, sell and distribute each other's brands in, in the respective locations. And how's that been going? Mate, great, great. Um, Shipyard has been well received in Sydney. We, we, our, our plan very much in the first couple of years is, is all about uh, Sydney. We don't have a, I guess, a, 
a national distribution plan for, for the brand in Australia as yet. Uh, and Rox, Rox is, uh, Rox is sold, uh, brewed and distributed in Maine. And we're working on our first package release um, later this year of the Rock Gold Nail. Yep. And so the, the, the Rock Spears in the US or in Maine, how are you like? Are you playing up an Aussie angle with that? Because um, I'd imagine that would be the same with Shipyard in Australia. You'd be playing up that US, you know, fresh US flavors. Is is there a difference in the marketing, or are you playing on those national characters? Yes, it is a little bit more difficult here, just simply because the market is you know awash with with beer. Um, so uh, what, yeah, being an Australian beer is unique, especially in Maine and New England, um, in the northeastern part of the states. Uh, but, you know, the use of, a, I guess, uh, Antipodean hops, you know, um, New World, you know, Southern Hemisphere hops is not a new thing. So um, we play more on it from, a, I guess, a brand look and feel rather than talking about unique unique ingredients or, you know, a, a unique Australian recipe. It's more about the brand look and feel. And, we, you know, as I said, we're, we're launching our, our, the package product later this year and we've got a pretty cool, unique label that's going on. And, it, and it's, and it's um, whilst not being cliched Australian, it's, it's definitely playing on some Australian uh, lifestyle uh, characters. Is there a bit of Vegemite on the label, some kangaroos? <laughs> Mate. The amount of people that I've uh, stunned with Vegemite uh, up here, okay, yeah, that's a whole another podcast. I can <laughs> that's, a, that's a podcast in itself. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, that's where the relationship started and and uh, and I've been working with Shipyard um, with the American business on international strategy because we, we do brew and, and sell a lot of beer in the UK and Europe. And uh, and out of that came, um, came the family asking me if I'd, you know, um, like to get more involved in the US business, and and here we are. Tell us a little bit about Shipyard because you know there, there's so much that I want to uh, to go through. But tell us a little bit about the brewery itself. Uh, Shipyard is um, uh, Maine's second oldest craft brewery. Only only missed out the mantle of the first craft brewery by a couple of a space of you know by a space of a couple of weeks. It's 27 years old, so we're we're heading towards our 30th birthday. It's fully family owned. Um, and we, over the course of the years, you know, we've we've sort of you know, been somewhere between within US craft breweries within the top 20 to top 50. We haven't fallen out of the top 50, but we we sort of sit in that sort of middle 30 to 40 range. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the moment in the US, we're you know we're coming we're just a shade over 10 million liters a year, so we're you know a reasonable size brewery for this region. Uh, we're nationally distributed, um, so we're in all but a couple of states. And I guess the challenge with this business, and and also you know both, it's a, it's it's paradoxical, is that a big chunk of our volume is made up of one beer, uh, and it's only on the market for four months. So Pumpkin Head, which is a you know it's just it's released, it hit the market last week. And um, and it's our biggest selling beer in, in terms of volumage, and it's a, it's a juggernaut. It's uh, it just seems to it just seems to keep going. So, but you know, going back to going back to the the business itself, it was started by um, a gentleman called Fred Forsley um, back in um, a pl- little place called Kenny Bunkport, which is a 
about 45 minutes south of Portland, beautiful little coastal village, beautiful little town. Uh, and it originally started as the Kenny Bunk Brewing Company uh, as a brew pub. And it is still there to this very day. We've got a little seven barrel system still uh, underneath our pub called Fed Jacks there. And then a couple of years later, they they grew into a space in Portland in the old part of the old port of Portland. Um, and for those people who have or haven't been here, Portland is very much like it's a working harbourside city. Very different to Portland, street. Oregon. Very different to <laughs> Portland, Oregon. I think Portlanders here try to think that they're as cool as Portland, Oregon. But um, it, you know, when I first came here, and and it reminds me very much of the rocks in Sydney. Like it's it's you could close your eyes and and you know as you're tripping down the cobbled streets as you're walking down uh d- downtown you know seagulls the water's just there it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful part of the world and it was the first brewery to to be downtown but in 2018 uh, you know the business took a, a you know a, a critical pivot a major pivot by shutting its production facility down in portland and moving production and, and uh, distributing our major production across two different um breweries and uh we're actually in the process of building a hotel so contract brewing across two different breweries yeah so we we contract so we still maintain four of our own breweries uh between um maine and florida but that the, the smaller r d based breweries and service our pub we have a we have a chain uh, we have a network of around 15 pubs that that we own and, and co-own um, so those breweries mainly service our, our pub taps, whereas the volume beer, our package beer, and the and the bulk of our draft beer is done under under contract by two locations. So um, that's 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 even reduced down from what it was before I started. Big focus of my role is we've got a project project simplification, and my my focus at the moment is consolidating our production. Uh, production facilities and our warehousing logistics facilities you know when we're when you're producing the sort of volumes that we are in multiple states or multiple locations and multiple states with multiple partners um, it just adds complexity and, and potential for error and uh, and cost so we're we're definitely on a on a track uh, to consolidate some of that and um, you know and and take up some of the benefit and pl- and and put some of that benefit back into our brand um, you know, you, you don't get to be a nearly 30-year-old family-run beer business anywhere in the world, I think, without having some rust uh, and certain certain elements of patina all over your business. So we're, 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 you know, we're chipping away at some and we're polishing other bits and we're, you know, pulling some bits and pushing others. And, and um, yeah, it's a... It's an interesting adventure. That's a nice way to describe just, I call it the cruft that builds up, but that's a much nicer way. I might steal that. What was yeah. the thinking when they stopped producing in-house and diversifying that production capacity? Uh, I think at its core, our owner, Fred, is um, got into beer through a real estate deal. And, <laughs> and, Fred's, a, and Fred's an incredible man. He's... Um, you know, he has an incredible capacity for deal making and deal deal ideation. Uh, and at his core, he's a real estate guy. He's a bricks and mortar guy. And um, 
you know, Shipyard is one part of a group of businesses that, that this family is involved in. And for him, he can see the, he can see the potential in Portland. Portland's in a, whilst we're in a, a very seasonal location, Portland is a unicorn in that, um, you know, in the last, in the last five years, it's been named the most foodiest town in the, in the country you know, for a number of years. We've got the, We've got the most breweries per capita in any state in the in the country. Um, the visitation rates are you know off the charts, and hotel room numbers uh, or sorry hotel room volume is is very low. It's very scant in Poland, and so I guess at the core, Fred saw an opportunity, and it was around building this hotel, and I guess after running a brewery for you know the best part of 25 years then he you know he he was at a decision point well do we want to be in the production business and have the overhead and the risk associated with being a you know a beer producer or do we want to be or do we still want to be in the beer game of course but do we want to be more of a brand marketing entity um uh and uh i guess push that hospitality front, you know, and really give our guests and our customers the shipyard experience through visitation, not just through liquid, you know, you know, um, so it's, we're, we're not getting out of the beer game. Yep. There's no way, there is no way we, we would ever get out of the beer game. It just changes the production model. And, and I guess where the risk associated with that business model is is positioned. It's an interesting model when being in the brewery and being in the place that makes the beer was so much of the promise um, that craft beer offered, you know, and getting away from those decentralised production models of the big breweries. Are we starting to see the industry as it becomes crowded um, and looking, you know, that the circle is completing a little bit and some of the business pressures are, are, are seeing that sort of model come back? I think I think so, and for this business, I think it, it you know, you know, we at some point the owners of the business took stock of where they were from a brand perspective and said, well, we believe that we can still maintain our our you know our brand standing and our position in the market, but not necessarily needing to have our own production house. And and this was a large scale production house. You know, it was a big. It was a big facility in its own right, producing a lot of liquid. Um, well, ten million liters is on. Just for for listeners, it's. I mean, Stone and Woods up to about seventeen million now, but you know they certainly moved to Moolumbah when they were going through and had that major production facility. Mm, yeah. So you know, for 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 this business, it would have been. A, you know, I wasn't part of that then, um, and and to be honest, we don't dig too deep um, into that. Well, I don't need to dig too deep in that. I've got a big enough challenge, you know, getting us you know fit for the next thirty years, and that's how I see my role. Is you know we're getting there, and I've got to make sure that this this business endures, the brand endures, and that we deliver value for our you know our drinkers, our customers, our stakeholders, our shareholders for the next thirty years. But you know, to your point, yes, I I, I think it becomes a question of well, where's your brand standing, and will you be able to survive? you know, your future, do you need to produce your own liquid to, to have that survivability? But at the same time, you come and visit our, our Portland home base in our tasting room, um, we've still got a brewery there. 
it's just not it's it's just not a 50 barrel system with a hell of a lot of tanks it's a mm. three and a half barrel system and it's you know it's where we do our r d and and it's where we we brew daily on that on that system uh but we brew specifically as i said r d or for beers that are only available in our tasting room in portland so that provides a little bit of differentiation for us as well there was there is beers that people can only get shipyard beers that can only be gotten and drunk um, in one place at one moment in time, and we plan to we plan to continue that front for, for yeah, into the future. But watching at, you know as th- this is an area that I hadn't really intended to go down in this chat, but hearing that model, we, we see breweries in Australia struggling. You know, the, the small craft breweries have built a local brand presence you know they're loved by their community as they try and get that volume up sending beer more widely it can be hard to manage that growth and still keep the you know passion that your your local community have is it something about craft beer that once you grow beyond that local scale it's the brand much more than the presence that allows that growth, you know, that, that it's a brand-based beverage as opposed to a, you know, keeping part of the community if you want to scale? Yeah, and I guess I'd like to be able to sit on the fence and say you can have both, but you can't, you know, to you can't be at scale and be local all at the same time, mm. you know. Well, look, we, we, we sit amongst some giants in the beer world in Portland, Allagash. For instance, you know, one of the best, one of the one of the quintessential and one of the most outstanding beer producers, corporate cultures, brands, you know, that is that is in our space. Um, they have got you know just distribution as good as uh, I guess I guess as good as us. Would they be known to be more local than us? Maybe uh, you know I, I guess so, um, but. I don't know. I'm torn. I'm torn there because, you know, I'm living and breathing the challenges of trying to produce beer at scale and just distribute it across a very vast country amidst high levels of competition. Mm. And that competition comes from every, you know, two mates with a dog who have an idea that they (laughs) want to breathe. And, and, And good on them. There's some really good examples of that and ostensibly they trade on exactly what you just said you know that that being local that you know we're small we're local come and support our community you know um but at the same time they they are striving for scale um and once you hit a certain scale you have to decide which horse you're going to ride on you know you, you, you can't send your beer across this country or even across this region and claim some level of you know local bias, um, or that local bias should weigh in your favour, um, because it is contradictory. Are, are we like people that were involved in the you know God, uh, uh, ten years ago is the early days of craft beer in Australia in a lot of ways. Um, it, it's not, but it feels that way sometimes. But the the early promise of craft beer was that these small local breweries were going to be able to take on the world. Do you, do you think that sometimes we're still too wedded to that feeling and that, you know, the craft beer community needs to realise that it is a business and, you know, those 
you know, that, as you said, you know, you can't compete locally with two men and an idea when you're pushing beer across a huge country like Australia, which is, you know, as big continentally as uh, the US. I think it's the beautiful nature of this industry. You can have it all. You know, this industry and, and the people that enjoy this industry and our consumers can can have a myriad of experiences and there is a place for a lot of different models to exist. And when it comes to the business side of it, at some point you have to choose your model. Which one will you be? But that's a choice. Yeah. Sorry, and I think that's what I was making. The consumer can still get, you know, the small local brewery that they walk down to and can only get there. But the business can't have they, – they need to jettison that if they want to grow. Dude, you can't. Exactly. I think, you know, you and I have been around on the periphery of this of this industry in Australia for, you know, we, we, we are very much, you know, I think, a contributor to it, an important part of it, you know, you know media, tourism and, and supporting nature of that, of supporting the producers. And I guess um, we've seen it all. We've seen the, you know, we've seen the, um, the idealism, the, the romance of it, the business, you know, the ethics, so all of it that gets coming... And at some point, you know, now that I'm in the bona fide production side of it, I don't feel like I'm, we're living a contradiction as in terms of mm. our brand. We are what we are. We brew, you know, beer at scale. We're, we're an international brand. You know, we, we brew as much beer in the UK as we do in the US now, um, you know, and, and we're on an expansion program through our partner, Carlsberg Marsden in Europe. Um, you know, we have to think globally in terms of what we do. But at the same time, I love the fact like today, you know, that I'm doing this call from home because the tap room in Portland is is pumping at the moment because we're in the height of summer. Um, you know, people are sitting around having a beer around our three and a half barrel R&B system uh, that smells exactly like a brewery because we've been brewing beer there all day, you mm. know. So we can have a little bit of both, but we don't claim to be we don't claim to be everything (laughs) but i think we we probably hang our hat more on the fact that we're you know a a national and a global brand at scale and that's how we have to be that's Mm. how we have to act because that generally drives the business decisions every day It, it was interesting uh just in our podcast facebook group somebody shared that the brewers association is running a campaign at the moment about supporting local, you know, local beer is better, uh, I think the tagline is. And, you know, I, I just made the comment that isn't the Brewers Association also the association that's got a huge export program um, where they have been down to Good Beer Week in, uh, you know, Sydney and uh, uh, Melbourne a couple of times wanting to export beer. And, you know, again, you, you can have either. Um, but can you have both and can you champion local beer is better when that same organisation is saying, but we'll send shitloads of it around the world? Yeah, you know, this company copped a lot of stick when it first decided to outsource um, business, uh, you know, its production, and it's copped stick from from local beer fans. And, you know, that's that's par for the course. It's expected. It's not, un- I guess it's not necessarily unkind, but... In the end, you have to stand by your decision and you have to stand by your production partners. And as long as the quality is good and, and nothing, it, we, we've seen it all before, you know, like in, in 
in Australia, usually it's not because someone outsources their beer production, it's because they sell to someone, yep. you know, <laughs> and and it's, you know, the first calls are, you're selling out, you're not local anymore and the beer is going to change. Well, that, that doesn't always happen. It doesn't always hold true. And... <sighs> And I think as a part of, as the industry grows and develops, it's just the nature of the beast, to mm. be honest. It's just, there's no way around it and you just got to confront it and live with it and be proud of what you do and get on with it. it, it tell me about uh, being an Australian in, you know, a very, very um, competitive US market. I mean, Americans aren't known for being the most open-minded. You know, they, they can be a little bit insular. You don't see... A lot of global news on the uh, American news channels. You know, they they tend to be a little bit inward looking and focused on themselves because they are so big. What was the attraction of having an Australian, or you know, was it hard convincing them that an Australian could know their market, could bring something to the table? No, I think I just spoke so quickly they didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> they went, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea." <laughs> I still, Man, I still what language are you it? speaking? I, I still go to I still go to meetings and then I walk out and I finish and go right. Is everyone all right? Is everyone knows what we're doing? They everyone nods and I walk out. And they're all like, "What the fuck?" No, um, this is a family-owned business and and it's relationship based. Um, the Forsley family are, are, are huge relationship people, uh, and we developed a relationship and a rapport. And and I guess I spent enough time as a as a pure outsider giving the owners, my genuine, honest view of where their brand and where their beers sat. And we've, we've, we've gone down and we've sat around the table with every one of their beers and, you know, pulled the eyes out of each one of them and said, where does it fit? You know, and we have a plan around our range, you know, uh, and things like that. And I think they just, they appreciated the, the honesty, you know, you get, you get to a, you get to a certain part, you get to a certain point, and you're probably not getting told whilst they're not they're not being lied to they're not they're not they're probably not getting the 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 honest drum of things and i had nothing to lose you know it was like well if you want my opinion i'll give it to you uh and being an australian i guess part of who i am i said well this is how i read it you know i may not be or i might not be right but this is my read on it and and do whether what you will and I guess what makes me proud about this is they I didn't I didn't pitch myself to them at all. I was sitting on a beach in Costa Rica in December. Um I you know that's a whole other story but I found <laughs> myself in Costa Rica um because it was a lot easier to go to Costa Rica than it was to get home at that point. Um I was sitting on a beach in Costa Rica when they called me and said, you know, what do you think about this? So it, you know I'm pretty proud of 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 working for this organisation in the part where I am, and being an Australian in Maine um, doesn't hurt. You know, there's you know there's there's only there's only less than half a dozen of us in the whole state, and um, Mainers are a lot like Australians. They're, they're very welcoming. They're very warm. Um, they're a little bit quirky. And uh, and we stick out like a sore thumb, so I think that helps a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be in, in Costa Rica, because I was, sorry, I was just uh, looking because I, I know that you were, you know, 
we last spoke to you as Dave's Travel and Events, which grew from Dave's Brewery Tours, and you were involved in a lot there. And, um, you know, you, you came to be in Maine uh, involved in Brews Cruise, um, very similar sort of business, but in, in the US. Tell us how, how you came to be there, to even be in the position to start at Shipyard. Yeah, so um, good question. Um, so, yeah, we started Dave's Brewing Tours back in 2013. And uh, I don't know, from memory, like somewhere along along the lines of my social media feed, I got a, you know, there was a beer tourism conference. That's right, the beer tourism conference in Asheville in like 2017 or something. And I'm like, right, if there's a conference talking about beer tourism, I'm going there and I'm going to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I went there and met the owner, my my business partner in in what was then main brew bus uh, at that conference and uh, and we just hit it off and had a few beers. The next year I came back to speak at the the same conference in in Burlington in Vermont and um, and we got together and we had more beers and and we said and I said look you know how about we partner up you know because we were seeing in Australia back then and, and you know pre COVID. Uh, you know, a high percentage of our international visitors, you know, like something like 70, I think it was like 77% of our international visitors were from the US. So like, right, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a market here. We can speak to the same people. We do the same model and Australians like to travel to the US. You know, we would, the, 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 the model was never going to be take Dave's to the US or take brew bus down to Australia, but it was about joining forces and we share a lot of common systems like mm-hmm. reservation systems, accounting systems, um, uh, you know, f- customer management, phone calls, time zones. Um, so we started putting together a, a basically a combined, you know, uh, shared services model around tourism. And then, so yeah, I, I bought into the business here. I bought, uh, I bought a, a controlling stake in the business and uh, in main brew bus. And then with that, we also then bought a national brand called Bruce Cruise. So we've got tours now in 12 cities in the States. And um, and that's what brought me to Portland because we're, we're Portland-based. And uh, I guess beer brought me here, you know. I met a girl, a Portland girl, um, and then say so there was a reason to stay. She left, the beer stayed. So <laughs> I went, the beer's good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. Um, but along that way, along the way, I got introduced to Fred, who owns Shipyard, and and uh, and that's how that came about. And the beauty about this is, I get to I get to take a role at Shipyard, but I still own, you know, still very heavily involved in in the Bruce Cruise brand in in the US and Dave's in Australia. So Dave's is still existing in Australia, and and it's run by my co-owners down there. And 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 to be honest, everyone in that space, like days and brews crews is probably really happy that i'm not involved day to like i don't work on it day to day because i'm probably one of those worst people that you don't want around day to day you want me you want me in small doses so. <laughs> let's talk about the the beer tourism and and go back to to dave's beer tours and i'll um just put some observations to you because you know, I started doing beer lunches initially once a quarter, you know, in, God, about 2002, um, just when there was no craft beer bars, there were no bottle shops, there was, I couldn't get the beers that I wanted to drink, um, and I knew there were a few people that were interested, so I just started doing it as a, you know, like a lot of people are doing now, just as a, as a hobby, and I just happened to be early enough to it, but 
having started to do beer lunches and exposing people to beer, people started talking about it, started getting media um, about these beer lunches. They became more and more, and it, everything basically spread from those. The, the, the blog came out of that. But I could see very, very quickly that, you know, as people were saying, um, oh, mate, you should do brewery tours. You should get a bus, drive people around because we want to visit breweries. And, you know, I had people wanting to partner up with me on, on, on that model. And I could see, you know, when I did the numbers on, I thought, hey, that's a great idea. People are asking me for this. Um, you know, there must be a business in this. But when I sat down and started looking at the numbers and the costs and, you know, nobody wants to drink beer at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. And so you've basically got to get all of your income on a, you know, Saturday, Sunday, you know, maybe the odd corporate thing during the week. Um, you've got a lot of infrastructure tied up for a very uh, few days. Um, yeah. And it's a really hard business. Um, if particularly if you want to approach it as someone who loves beer and wants to visit breweries, then all of the breweries want their chop because they, you know, they've got a lot of other people who want to do tours there. And so you need to come up with something compelling to give them a reason to give you discounts to make your model work, otherwise a very expensive model. I don't think people realise, like it looks to an outsider like a fantastic job, but it's a really, really hard business. And I watched as uh, you started and, you know, as an observer, it was uh, your willingness to push your business very hard. Um, you know, you, you form very strategic partnerships with people who are already doing these small, um, without deriding them, unaspiring businesses. You know, they didn't think bigger, but you yeah. were coming in and you took them over. But, I, and, you know, and then I saw you, you, you get wanting to get into ships tours and a whole lot of other things. But I always felt that it was a business that had to go scale and beer was a very small part of it. Is that a reasonable observation for the, for the beer touring industry? You're, you're freaking spot on. Like, <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't go into it then. Mate, you were, you, were, you were spot on. And, you know, and to be honest, mate, there's a whole series of podcasts on beer tourism if you ever wanted to do one or even just a couple of short ones because, yeah, it's a, you know, on the, you're right. On the surface, it looks like a dream job. But, like, to be honest, it's a, you know, you've got to get it to scale to make it pay. Um, running buses, running fleets of buses is probably, and especially in the post-COVID world, insurance companies do not like bus fleets and they do not like buses that are used for alcohol. They don't like alcohol. Yeah. So we'd seen an amazing, you know, like, I don't know, amazing not the right word, um, a, a very aggressive uh, increase in insurance premiums across you know across both the US and Australia that just you know it really makes these businesses starting to be questionable but at the same time it's about diversification right so you know that's how we that's why we got into pub pub walks you know low overhead you only need a guy or a girl and a t-shirt and a pair of you know Dunlop volleys and you've got a you've got a you've got a you, you've got a ready-made resource, you know, to be able to run a, a, a tour. And everyone loves a bit of history. Everyone loves a few lies and a few stories. As long as they've got a beer in their hand, everything goes all right. Mm. And when it comes, you know, I guess to the traditional brewery tour business, you know, um, my approach 
from the get-go was to create a compelling model for our brewery partners to really want to get behind it. I remember going to breweries back in the day and like literally the sort of the first week when I decided I was going to do this and going and speaking to some of the brewery owners in Sydney and, you know, there was probably only five breweries back then, Mm. you know, and people saying to me, like, I remember Rich from Young Henry saying, like, who would want to come? Like, what? what? You want to do tours? People are going to want to come and like, what he's like and he was like dude fill your boots but you know <laughs> whatever you're an idiot and i'm like look trust me it'll it'll be fine you know um and we just drove literally we drove but we drove it hard and 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 we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing until it became a thing and you know and i think i've said this a few times but I called it Dave's because honestly, I didn't think I'd do it for more than three or six months on a weekend. And it would just be a hobby that turned into, you know, uh, nothing and it would just dissipate. And then, and, and it, but it had, it was like, like you in everything that you've done in this space. And I'm not saying that it's, you know, you know, some of it's plan, some of it's intelligence, some of it's tenacity, but a great deal of it is timing. And luck, you know, yeah. I think you have, you have to appreciate it. It's like Dick Smith with electronics, right? Like he could be the smartest electronic dude in the world, but if it wasn't for the timing, he wouldn't have got to where he got to, you know, and and everything is about timing. And and I'm I'm not ignorant enough or arrogant enough to even suggest that what the timing was not the thing that played the critical factor in our success of where we got to. But in all in saying all that, nearly 10 years later and now being in two different countries, it's a it's a hard slog and um, we've had to really adapt. We're not a beer business. If you start these type of businesses, like you started your media business as a beer fan, um, I started a tourism business as a beer fan and my biggest disappointment was probably in about the first, somewhere about month 10 when I realised that this wasn't a beer business that did tours, it was a tourism business that specialised in beer. And if I wanted to be successful and I wanted this to be, to to exist beyond the first two years, I needed to think more like a tourism business and less like a beer business. And and that graded me. That graded me and, and and I felt disconnected from the industry that I was trying so desperately to break into and be a part of. And, 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 but at the same time, very much welcomed into and, and I felt included and I've always felt included and I felt like I've contributed to it. But I, I just thought this is not, if I keep thinking like a beer business that does tours, I'm never going to succeed to where I need it to be. And what I needed it to be was more than a hobby. Um, and that's what we coach our, our, our business, our, our operators in the States is, you know, we've got a strategy in our beer tourism business like beyond beer, beyond the bus. Think beer, wine, spirits, kombucha, coffee, food, what history, culture. Get out of the bus, get out, you know, get walking, get riding, get boat, you know, we in Portland, we do bike tours, or we do walking tours, bike tours, boat tours, bus tours. Yeah, and if we could do it on a pogo stick, we do it on a pogo stick, you know, just simply because we want to diversify because we think you know, we think uh, we just need to keep pushing it that little bit further to survive, like to be brutally honest, to survive. Mm. So, because yeah. 
the, the other thing that, you know, again, there, there are so many reasons that I could just see were arguments against doing beer tours. And, you know, again, I never wanted to drive my business the way that I saw that you drove yours um, some years later. Because, but at the same time, then I was competing against a guy that just loves beer and is happy to do it for nothing just mm. because he's walking around drinking beer for free. And, you know, there's that vanity. And it, it, it's funny, my approach to, to what I've learnt from watching the brewing industry and, you know, building my own little business has given me such insights to exactly the challenges that brewers have got. And you talked about we're not a beer business, we're a tourism business. And I think so many craft brewers think of themselves as craft brewers and not businesses not you know brewing businesses and it's a fundamental change and they're people who love beer love making beer love having beer with their friends and think that they can have this small little business doing that when most of them um, don't end up doing a lot of that because they're so busy focused on the business and you need to drive that business to make it work Interesting you say that. We, um, just before I came out to um, on my last, I guess the last trip where I, you know, basically uh, moved here full time, I've been working on a on a potential, you know, potential brewery startup down the south coast where I where I live a couple of hours out of Sydney. Great spot, great town, great little surf town. We, you know, we acquired a you know, defunct petrol station on the edge of town that had been environmentally reclaimed. You know, it was all good to go. It was, you know, it was great. We can, you know, if some brewery in New Zealand didn't call itself the Garage Project, we had the perfect spot <laughs> for a place called the Garage Project. I'm like, fuck, I think that's already taken. Anyway, um, you know, and and working with Chris from East Coast County because he's just, yeah, he's literally like two blocks away, mm-hmm. and uh, and a and great he, operator. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. You know, um, and he's a good looking dude with that beard. But um, when um, when it all comes down to it, when it all came down to it, you know, there was a group of us and we're looking at it and uh, for, for for all of us, it started as a, I guess, as a passion project and as a community building project and, and the fact that we all love beer. And then when you put the, you put the real ruler over it and, and, and think about it and think about it with some industry insight, you know, and, and I think you and I, you know, uh, you know, and others in this industry are lucky that we we haven't been burdened with the financial risk and challenge of you know, starting a brewery ourselves. But we we know enough people, and we've been able to develop relationships and understandings to understand how it rolls. We're able to look at that and really stand back and I guess pour some cold water on you know on the enthusiasm and said, you know what, you know, when all things considered the amount of effort and time and money it's going to take to get this thing up. This is for us as a group of people, as much as we love the concept, this is a better real estate deal than it is a beer deal. We, we can get this to a point where someone who's really passionate about taking it forward has a perfect little landing pad and a starting point to, to get into this thing. And we will get it all the way there. You know, DAs, you know, you know environmentals, the building fit outs the whole thing conceptual drawings even a business plan behind a brewery it's it's ready to go but we we all looked at each other and said well hang on this is going to destroy our passion for what we really wanted to do about this and we all we all are individuals that wouldn't be satisfied with just you know having a small little brewery in a little surfside town that you know makes us feel good about ourselves and 
brews good beer. That would be awesome. But in the context of everything else that you've got to do, the opportunity cost was like, well, no, I think I think this is a better real estate deal. And that only comes, you know, had I had this opportunity of come to me five, six years ago, I would have been that guy that said, no, 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 beer, beer, beer. You know, like, no, I have to do it just because of, you know, it's beer. You know, time, energy, you know, experience, insight, whatever you call it, whatever it may be. But it's like, no, you, at some point you have to decide what you want it to be. Is it a lifestyle? It will, Is it a hobby? Is it a lifestyle or is it a bona fide business? And that's how we... Like we use that classification for our businesses, our tourism businesses in the US, because they, you know, we have co-owners in each of the states and and we classify them. You know, some people just want to do it on a Saturday for the afternoon because they want to be part of the beer community. Some people are semi-retired and that's what they want to do. And other people are using it as their sole source of income. And they and they all drive these things in different ways. So yeah, you know, it's that's what I love about this industry is that. It takes all sorts and it's full of all sorts and it will always be full of all sorts. You know, in both the US and, and Australia, we need different scales. We need different types. We need, you know, because I, I, I am as much as as much as I, you know, I'm sitting here wearing my shipyard shirt and I'm proud to do what we do and I'm extremely proud of what we do and, and where we where we plan to take this business. You know, I walk out the door and go around the corner and have a beer with a mate of mine who's, you know, a, a, a brand new startup in, in Portland and brews incredible beer. And, you know, he's struggling to, you know, get the doors open seven days a week because of, you know, it's him and his wife and his mate and his wife and a couple of staff, you know. And and it's like, you know, we all remember that stage and, you know, and he, he will get to some point where he scales. And if he doesn't, he makes freaking incredible beer mm-hmm. and he's going to be happy. And you're like, well, cool. And I'm I'm happy to tell anybody who comes to our tasting room, go around the corner and go and see Bellflower because they do an incredible job. And and I'm a believer that the rising, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And and so you need every size boat in the harbour so that we can accommodate every person that wants to go out in the, on the water. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that because I, it, it's one of the most used expressions in, as the craft beer industry grows. But I have to point out to, you know, I, it, I, and this goes back to a question I was going to ask, that people get so focused on the saying that they don't look at what it means. And I see a lot of people building boats thinking that it's the building of the boats that brings the tide in. But it's a whole lot of other things that bring the tide in that lift the boats. You know, just because you've got a boat, the tide doesn't come in. You know, you need to be um, developing your market. You need to be doing all of these other things. And yet I see a whole lot of people just making breweries and then saying, the rising tide lifts all boats. And you just have to go, but where's the tide coming from? Uh, You're a boat builder. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Do you, do you, it's like, do you put your brewery right next door to, you know, the other brewery because you know, we're, you're going to get the tidal effect or do you go two suburbs away because you believe that you're going to be unique and different and people are going to come and visit you as opposed to someone who's, you know, one postcode away, you know. I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a believer that every suburb needs a brewery. Yeah, and, and I guess we, we need to believe that because we're in this thing, but... I'm 
I love exploring and I love exploring the world through through beer. I, I think local, small local breweries are my dream, but then when it crashes into the economics, um, I, I don't think a lot of people uh, who open breweries have you know they, they see their five year plan either being taken over by one of the big two, having beer you know distributed around the state, and you, you can't have that local brewery mindset. And as we going back to what we said, you know. I um I, I think that if you open a brewery in your local area, you approach it like taking your superannuation and investing in a uh, a, a news agency. You're buying yourself a job. You're going to have a you're nice, buying yourself a job. Um, yeah. modest income. As soon as you get anybody else in working because you're not there, that's out of your pocket. You're not going to make a fortune. You might get yourself a nice subsistence living that if you do it well – You'll be able to yeah. sell that business, you know, when when you're tired and want to move on to something else, for you know, <laughs> a, a, a couple of multiples of what your take home income is. You're not going to get the twenty million dollars. No, no, and 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 probably more likely you're just going to sell it for you know for what you can get for someone who's prepared to buy their own job in you know a decade, which is a news agent. You buy it for one hundred eighty thousand dollars. You do it for eight yeah. years. You sell it for one hundred eighty thousand dollars. And, and probably the best way to destroy your love for beer in the in the process, right? Yeah. But um, and and at the other end of that spectrum, you get to complete scale. You know, you get to complete scale, and you've got a whole another set of challenges. And, <laughs> and the way. mindset, but the mindset is different in doing that because you're a financier, you're a logistics um, expert, you're a you know um, a HR business you're like you're all of these things that come with anything that needs to scale it's you know the 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 beer is the smallest part of it yeah yeah like like for example for us this business at the moment is um you know like when pumpkin head hits this hits the shelf so it hit the shelf a week and a half ago and and i feel like my days are consumed now with nothing to do with liquid nothing to do with beer at the moment I feel like my days are, uh, you know, or the challenges that are put in front of me from the team are more about frigging semi-trailers and docking times and, <laughs> and 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 broken loads and, you know, packaging problems. Like, it's like, when did we go from being a beer producer to being a trucking company? And it's like, and, you know, and but the, but my team who's been around for a lot longer than I have here is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just what we do every year. It's just this... It's just thing, and you're like, all right, we just we have to shift our thinking for this period of time because it is about literally, it is about like I have semi trailers, I have so my production brew at the moment that's doing pumpkin head for all of last week and for all of the next two weeks runs twenty four seven production and we are taking up all of their production slots all of their packing room slots and all of their dock spaces for trucks and like we had a call with them today and they're like dude we we are we do not do anything else in this period of time every truck that comes in and leaves this facility is delivering this one beer and, and and to be honest, Matt, I'm still trying to get my head around. Like I'm the dumb guy in the room, scratching my head, going, "Shit, that's a lot of freaking beer." <laughs> like I'm still I'm still baffled by the volume, you know. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're having to deal with the challenges, which which makes it interesting. But yeah, it's I don't know. Like you got to where do you, like you going back to 
it'd be I'm sure there's been panels of these in, in in good beer weeks in the past and 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 other beer conferences about well how do you pick your path at some point you know like everyone the idealism and the and the and the dream state of starting a brewery on day one and, and maybe even day 10 day 100 day thousand you know it's probably day 10,000 that you really start to to think about well holy I, shit. Uh, I, i'm not even that optimistic that you get that much of a enjoyment time once you open the brewery because again I, i've spoken to a lot of people before they open a brewery and you know i'd make a joke that you know my first job is to talk them out of it um but you see them looking through their little window uh, their, their little letterbox slot of their vision um of what they want they don't see the periphery they're not interested in having their gaze widened but you know the number of times i've walked into breweries you know two three six months after they've opened and you just sort of see this forced smile and these tired eyes and you know the reality of of it has hit them you know regardless of the challenge they've had just getting open once they open and then suddenly realize that there's no one in the tap room there's no book of orders waiting um and things and they've that's all through the beginning is when you open the brewery it's uh it, it, it's actually quite insightful to, to to see some of the challenges that people don't even realize that they were going to have yeah and you know you take it to the other degree and at the moment but so we, we we brew shipyard beer and i also we brew sea dog beer we've got a brand over here called sea dog which has also got a chain of brew pubs um down the east coast of the country and and kenny bunkport brewing company and another brewing company that we that we own and and um you know even having our own you know real estate in terms of taps you know we have you know these 15 pubs they all have at least 20 taps each that we, you know, that it's all our beer um, under different brands. And you're like, oh, awesome, cool. I've got a, dist- I've got a ready-made distribution network straight up. Uh, you know, I control this group of taps. But then, then you also become a publican, you know. You're like, holy shit, you know, Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. and there's no one in my pub. <laughs> you know, what am I doing? <laughs> it's no... It doesn't matter. I don't need to. You know, it doesn't. It does matter. It's like, well, you, it's no good producing beer if no one's there to drink it. You know, and yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't know whether. I don't know which end of the scale is. The, they've all got their challenges. And it's where you want to be, as you said. You know, they they need to run discussion groups about this to to at least make. But then again, as I've said, you know, I get the feeling that a lot of people who are dreaming, um, and I've seen it across all levels. You know, either people who have put together significant money to open a brewery, or just home brewers who are getting scraping the money together for the, a small little brew pub. Just look at their window, um, and you know there there's some very smart people from other businesses that have launched breweries that haven't flourished because they've had their their laser focus and just not being willing willing to you know broaden that gaze yeah you know it's um i don't know i like the fun of it you know it's but yeah it's always a business Mm. and that's the reality it's It's always always a business business. i think we've got the episode title speaking of all always a business just because i just looked at the time and realized how long this chat has been as i said it was going to be a long one and i think we will do a a follow-up looking at beer tourism maybe getting a joshy donahoe from sunshine coast beer tours who's another smart operator in 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 the area but a a couple of years ago you know even in the pre-covid times i uh cheekily during your time at the helm of sydney beer week 
ran a, a discussion panel, um, you know, have beer weeks had their day because I could see the challenge in those weeks as well that I think that you found that everyone loves a beer week. No one wants yeah. to pay for it. Um, tell, tell us about what, what you learned in, in, in your time during Sydney Beer Week because the only one that's really successfully been, the only weeks have successfully been done that I've seen are Bruce Vegas in Brisbane that is completely not-for-profit, run on the sweat equity of bar owners and then Melbourne Beer Week that was the first, it had very much industry buy-in but was still very much a you know, part-time thing. It wasn't really a a business business um and it was very hard to convert into a business look i don't know if no i don't know i can't recall if i've ever really spoken about it on any level of record since we since we stopped it but you know it was probably my most uncomfortable moment in this industry and i felt wedged and there's nothing that i there's nothing myself or my team could do to satisfy all the stakeholders and i was disappointed by some of the abuse my my team caught from people that that just shouldn't have you know and 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 we were doing everyone was doing their best and and i just think there was just yeah you know, i got to the point where i said well you know what i own this i'm not going to put my myself and my people through this for the sake of putting on nine days of beer stuff in Sydney, as much as I wanted to do it and as much as I thought it should exist, some of the attitudes of, of some of the people that are involved just sucked. And, you know, and, and I and I agree with you, you know, like Bruce Vegas, it's 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 run by I think it comes down to who who is the group that is running it, controlling it, and what's the objective. And we didn't take it on to make a profit. We took it on because we were asked by the former owners because if we didn't take it on, they were just going to stop. And we said, well, it needs to exist. We honestly believe, and I still believe it needs to exist. But we took it on and the business that we are, well, we're a business, you know, like we have to pay people, you know, it's like, I don't want to make any money out of it. You know, I don't want to make it. I just want to pay my people and, and get and get this thing done. And it was interesting when when we decided that we weren't going to do it anymore. The people that were uh, sort of, I guess, harassing us for certain things, then were the ones who said, "Well, you can't just give up." You know, well, we didn't harass. <laughs> we would have we would have been more encouraged to dig a deep, dig deeper and, and continue and on and and you know to that point, you know, I'm like, well, if anyone wants to take it, take it. Like, honestly, it, it needs to exist. It should exist, you know. But to answer your question, Maddie, do they, is there a place for them? Yes, there is. You know, has COVID put the dent in it? Yes, it has. Will it come back and should it come back? Yes. Um, in, ter- in in my personal view in Australia, should that should it be every city has a different beer week or should it be a, com- you know, should it be a, something run by, you know, the IBA or whatever? Yeah, maybe. You know, I don't know. Um, all I can say is in Sydney, if it if if it should be run by venues, be it pubs or our breweries or a combination, that's probably the best way. It, you know, it, it could be taken forward because that way every every stakeholder or the major stakeholders who believe and and should have a stake in it or a you know a, a voice at the table get to make the decisions. A third party 
which we were, and, and Joel and his team before that, just get wedged in the middle. And to be honest, it, it just it, it just breaks you. But having uh, that third party makes people put a value on something that they love, you know, um, because you have to pay for that third party to do it, as you said. And there are yeah, all of these things. People love the week. They love the thing. But as soon as you ask them to put a dollar value on that you, thing. You cop, you cop it in every direction. Oh, you're not you're focusing too much on the breweries, you're giving too much in advertising, you're not giving, you know, you're focusing too much on, you know, like, it's like you're torn in every direction, you can't satisfy everyone. And mate, to be honest, like, uh, that's a that's that's a cheesy comment. I, I hate when people say, to be honest, but I've never said anything after we made the decision because I was broken. I, I was like, I've never been so disappointed in being, you know, just, I just wanted out. Mm. I went out of the industry. I was like, some of the things that some people said to us about, you know, the whole thing just just sucked. And I'm like, that's not the part, that's not the industry that I want to be involved in and that's not why we did this. But it didn't matter or it, it seemed not to matter and I, I just gave up defending it because it, it's like, well, you're a third party, you're, you're in it for profit. I'm like, dude, I will open the book on any day of the week and I'll still open the book and you will be you will be stunned at why we even did it in the first place and what we actually didn't earn out of it in the last place. But you can still say that we got it wrong, but I'm the one who paid for it on the way through. Mm. And, you know, and in the end it's like it's not worth it. I, I love this industry um, and that's why I got out of it and we stopped it because I thought if I keep doing this, if we keep doing it, our team keep doing it we're not going to love this thing and that's going to be a sucky place to be so you know should sydney have a beer week yes what should it look like who should run it that's a that's probably another whole podcast but you know yeah sorry mate you know i you know you hit you hit a nerve there because I, i i chose at that time mate to say nothing because i felt like at the point it didn't matter what i said it wouldn't have made a difference mm. Oh, man, I'd, but I think, it again, it's one of the things I wasn't uh, digging for anything. I'd uh, forgotten quite how uh, painful it was, but um, it's things that people need to hear because otherwise I, I, I worry that this industry is so built on the hype, rah, rah, kumbaya, which is selling a dream that the harsh realities, the, the truths of the industry are wallpapered over and people get burned because of that. Dude, the reality is, I, I, when I came back, you know, when I, when I was back in Sydney in uh, when was it March to do finalise my visa, and I had two weeks quarantine, I was overlooking the aquarium and where we had the gala for fourteen days. And I got to, <laughs> I got my face for fourteen days. And I'm like, that's awesome. No, I actually I looked upon it with very fond memories, and I'm really glad we did it. I'm really proud of our team and what we did and what we were able to do, and and. Um, you know, I just, you know, it's it's a part of, put it down to timing. You know, it's timing. It's how things evolve. Do you think it did? Because did, it, it, that, that goes back to my question that I asked. Do people, you know, people want it, they love it, but do they value it? You know, do they, you know, there, there's a whole lot of intangibles that people hold up about craft beer that if you ask them to put a dollar value on, it's much harder to do, you know, like independence, you know. I, I guess the analogy that I can strike and and, and it's current for me is um, Bruce Springsteen is is doing, 
his Broadway, he's doing another series of Broadway concerts at the moment. And literally, I can get on a plane in Portland and, and be downtown New York City within two and a half hours, right? So that's the beauty of living. That's one of the beauties of living here. And I'm like, right, I've never seen Bruce the Boss in concert. I am going to go and do it, right? And I'm, yeah, for the last couple of weeks, I'm like, yep, tickets are on sale. I'm ready to go. <laughs> So today was the day I'm sitting at work. I had a, a quiet moment. And I start, you know, get on Ticketmaster and I start looking. They start at 1600 bucks and they end <laughs> at like five grand. And I'm like, I want it, but I value it. You know, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, you know, if someone gave me a ticket, sure, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Do I want to spend 1600 bucks? Yeah. Is it yeah, that I much guess. better than watching the Netflix special? I know, I know. <laughs> you know, if if I had not have downloaded the Netflix special, I probably would have already bought a ticket. But yeah, you know, I mortgaged my, you know, myself up the hill to get there. But yeah, I want it, but I don't value it, and and I, and I fear that yeah, you are right in in the context of of festivals. I think I think it's probably more short moments, day festivals, outdoors. And, and just try to compress everything into that one moment, you know. Um, you know, food, you know, beer, wine, spirits, food, the whole thing, mm. education, entertainment, put a whole heap of it into one moment because, um, you know, I've got huge amounts of respect for the for the Good Beer Week team down in Melbourne and what they pull together mm. and, and being a, 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 both a consumer and an industry event. Like, I, I think that's amazing. Um you know, I, I, they've got some, you know, they've got some added firepower of the IBA and, you know, and, and they've been doing it for a while now. Um, and I also think it's a function of, of the place, you know, Melbourne, Melbourne takes to those things more than Sydney does and, and not, you know, I know Brisbane reasonably well, but I think the, the beer culture and, and the community in Brisbane is probably a little bit more conducive to make it happen than Sydney. Yeah, oh, you still couldn't do it like Melbourne. It, it's it, it's no. it, but, but that's where every city has its own personality, its own geography, its own you know. And yeah. coming in with a one size fits all um, approach, well, we'll do what they did in Melbourne, or we'll do what they did in Sydney, or we'll do what they did in Brisbane. Doesn't work when you transplant it somewhere else. And I wonder if I've always wondered, and you know, and. Um, and before the boys uh, sold Gabs, you know, we'd had some conversations with the, with the team from Gabs, and I, you know, and one of that conversation was always was, well, how does it go in Sydney versus Melbourne or any other, you know, and that's a, you know, literally it's in the name, you know, it's a spectacular, you know, it's mm. a huge, it's a huge undertaking, and it's a, you know, there's a huge level of risk in that. And I think as owners of those things, you have to temper your expectations. If you're going to try and roll it around the country or around the region or do it in a place, in any place, you know, and I think for us with Sydney, you're competing with people's share of pocket no matter what. And I don't think Sydney is the type of community that can sustain a nine-day festival. I think it should be something. Nine days or seven days is is, is too long. Um, people just... Peter out. You, you can't hold. You can't hold the attention span and the spend for that long to to really make it work. Um, and and also back then, obviously pre COVID, you know, this industry and I'm saying Australia draws upon the same supporters, industry supporters. You know, you you know the characters. 
yeah, they're the ones you always hit up. Oh, we've doing this. Can you sponsor this? And the, and back then they would always be the ones that would pony up the dollars to do it. You know, and there's very few new entrants into that space from an industry's perspective that are prepared to put the money forward to make these things thrive. And mate, we love these people. They're friends of ours. I got no harms when they say to us, "Dude, we we, we just we're running out of you know." We're running out of resources to be able to do this continuously. I'm like, yeah, dude, I get it. I get it because you're getting hit up all the time. And so when we're in such a, you know, a, I guess a, a small industry, comparatively, you know, there's only so many people that can put the bill for that before it has to go into ticket prices. And, and then it gets to a point where people are like, no, it's not worth it. I'd rather go out and spend that much for dinner and have a have one craft beer than 50, mm. five whatever you know so yeah but on the other side of that sorry mate just to no just no 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 go post covid and in the context of it, of the us we're starting to really see the festival uh, inquiries pick up here you know um, yeah and it's like dude i just can't i can't be in every we can't be in every place that's got a festival we don't have the staff and here <laughs> You know, the three-tier system adds a whole other complexity to it. So it's like, yeah. But so I, I'm, we're starting to see it here ramp up and I think 2022, 2023 down in Australia, we'll see it start to re-ramp again as well. We might, uh, God, there, there's so many topics I haven't even uh, gotten to. COVID, you know, what you've seen over there, you know, so we'll, we'll definitely get you on again uh, very soon um, and then also do the uh, tourism uh, panel. So, uh, but... It's the longest episode we've recorded for a long time, so uh, we've certainly gone past the cook limit. So uh, I will say uh, great to chat, Dave. Great to see you looking so well. Um, Enjoying a beer while I've been having my morning coffee. Yeah, mate, we got the timing right. So maybe the next time we'll turn it on its head and I'll do the coffee and uh, and you can do it. Happy to do, uh, you know, we'll do a, uh, we'll do it. We'll do a dispatch from the US every now and again. I'll give you my, you know, I'm happy to give you my thoughts on what we're seeing over here. And, you know, and I think nowadays the gap between the US, you know, when we all started, the gap between the US and the Australian industry was probably a little bit wider. I think nowadays it's a lot closer. And I, I describe it as being just like fashion, you know, the Northern Hemisphere, winter, you know, you're just there. Yeah. It's almost just six months ahead. You know, as soon as the next season rolls around because of social media, we're seeing yeah. that so quickly. All I can tell you right now, mate, my, my observation for beer drinkers down the down in Australia, my biggest observation is if I if I don't see another freaking hazy IPA in the next the rest of my life, I'll be okay. But John Hall, uh, what is it? Preserve Pilsner or Save Pilsner um, is his uh, you know mate, is, is his shirt. I, I walk in and I'm like, please just tell me you have a lager. For a <laughs> Or something that's not milkshake or fruity or hazy. Just give me something. I think I, mean, I think that's another example of the circle closing. You know, people have been drinking hops for years, are going back to simpler products. But uh, anyway, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. But I will say, most importantly, I can't wait till borders open because uh, having heard just how extensive the um, Bruise Cruise and the beer bus uh, are in the US, I think I've made a trip across the US a uh, complete tax deduction. Mate, mate, we'd love to have you here. And I've got, I've got, I've got my apartment. You know, mate, you're more, you're more than welcome, and an open invite for any Aussie beer fan and 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 made of bruise news. 
to get up here and uh, and come to Maine, and uh, I'll, I'll certainly do my best to look after you. Love and, to do that. Uh, love to see you here, and thanks very much for having me. And good to see you. Good to see you, Noggin, mate. <laughs> it's you, you too, mate. Thanks very much. My champion. And that was Dave Phillips. I'll be looking forward to getting across to check out Shipyard and Portland, Maine as soon as we're able to travel again. It sounds like it's an interesting place to visit with a very interesting business model. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are also our premium partners in premium beer conversations just like this one. 